Welcome to Gatekeeper, a podcast about booking from the bookers and gatekeepers who decide who's in, who's out. Also, there's other stuff. And now your host of Gatekeeper, artistic director of the Hollywood Improv, Jamie Clam. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 15 of Gatekeeper. I'm Jamie Flam. I'm your host. So excited to be here, as I always am. Now, one of my favorite things is these little intros I get to do for each episode because it's such a great platform. I can talk about anything that I want in the world, and I'm making the weirdest things with my hand right now. One hand is pointing like a gun at the other one, which has two fingers down, one pointed up towards the ceiling, and... Kind of the other ones like hitchhiking, but I don't know where I'm going. <laughs> I'm looking over at my producer now who's giving me those stink eyes because he realizes that I'm not utilizing this great platform for good right now, but just speaking candidly about what, exactly what's happening before my eyes. I've put my hands down on the table. Sometimes this episode is the best example of it. I'm not able to use the platform for the good that I want. And I tell Andrew, the producer, like, we're not going to be able to release an episode this week. And he's like, but we have that great interview with Jordan Brady and people want to hear about him as he's a filmmaker and he's doing all this stuff and his career in comedy. I'm like, Hey, I need more time. I need more time to put together some uh, amazing diatribe about what's happening in the world and how we can all be better people. And he's like, Jamie, don't you remember what Lauren Michaels said? And I was like, I don't know. What did Lauren Michaels say? And he's like, there, let me go on Google and I'll bring up the direct quote. And the quote is, we don't put on Saturday Night Live on, because it's ready. We put it on because it's 11.30. And do not quote me on that quote. It's more of a paraphrase. Uh, so what am, I, what am I saying? I'm saying, yes, Gatekeeper is basically Saturday Night Live. Uh, it's not sketches per se, but it's the same quality level. And I am Lorne Michaels. So uh, we are going to do uh, something that I like to do every episode. We're going to drop a crazy fun sound effect right here. And then we're going to kick it to the interview with Jordan Brady. So speaking of noggins, toboggans, I'm going to toboggan out of here. And right into the episode. Take it away, Andrew. Gatekeeper. Hello and welcome to Gatekeeper. I'm joined by a geek. Hmm. What were you going to call me? A geek? Hmm. This is like... this is bad. This is bad, Jordan. Why? What happened? You were off to such a good start. I know it felt so good. I think that maybe we maybe we keep this, Andrew, just to really just illustrate like how difficult it is to start a podcast. It's the worst. All right, let's try this one more time. <sighs> you got this, Flam. You got this. You got this. Hello. <clears throat> welcome to Snake Keeper. Nope. Hello. Welcome to Gatekeeper. Ugh, that's try it again. Snake dealer. Nah. Last time, I promise. Hello, I'm Jamie Flam. Welcome to Game Changer. <laughs> Fuck me. Fuck me in the nuts. Uh, we're we're just going to skip it. We're going to move on. Skip it. I'm joined by a gatekeeper himself, Jordan Brady. Welcome. 
Thanks for having me, Jamie. Yeah, of course. This uh, is not our first podcast together, by the way. No, we we did Mike Kaplan's podcast. Mike spelled funny way. Kaplan, who is a hilarious comedian. I yeah. saw him do the set list. Oh, yeah. Fell in love with his comedy. And I drive out to somewhere deep in the valley. There were a lot of turns to get to that oh, location. Oh, like a cul-de-sac and a freeway and a guy selling fruit. <laughs> and I pull up and there you are getting out of the car. We had a blast. Yeah. It was just a weird kind of like um, let's a couple of random, not that random because we're old pals, but, but we had a lot of fun. So check that out. Mike Kaplan's podcast <laughs> featuring Jordan Brady and Jamie Flam. And so gatekeeper, a little bit different concept. Than I Mike's. love it. I love it. I want to talk about everything. I want to inspire our listeners uh, to take what's uh, been a fun, seemingly journey for you in your career. You start I, out as what? Stand up comedian. Well, before that even. Well, a, a I youth. took out your IMDb. <laughs> There are after school specials. No, but I mean, stand up comedy led to everything. Yeah. I was a stand up comedy uh, comedian during the boom, mm-hmm. which led to hosting and acting, which led to producing, directing. And then you always have to pick up that pesky pen and write it down. I mean, if, if you just want to listen to the first two minutes of this podcast, listeners, I would say pick up a pen and write it down. That's, that's the only way shit gets done. Write what down? The, what you should do or Everything. your idea? Just what write. you should do. Uh, the idea itself, flesh it out, take action. And then the huge thing is, I mean, the way I get my personal projects done is I pick a date that I'm going to shoot. I pick August 10th. And then I start asking people, hey, can you help me with this project? Whether it's a short film, feature film, I did that way. I said, hey, I'm going to start on August 10th. Because if you go, hey, can you help me, Jamie? If you're my bro, you're going to go, sure, just, Call me when you're ready. Now I've just added a phone call. Mm -hmm. So pick the date and write it down and go, can you help me August 10th? And if enough people say yes, you're shooting. And I know I have to back into that deadline and have a script. If I'm not finished, I have to, I have to lock the script months, you know, or weeks ahead of time. So yeah. So Jordan Brady, fun fact, uh, productivity tip. Number one, pick a date, put down a date. Put it in and your I'm calendar. Just, it's actually, um, and I want to get into the And you can use an thing. iPhone. You don't have to use a pen and paper, old school. You could put the date in your iPhone calendar. Can you That's use right. a Zoom? A Zoom. Or a Zune? A Zune. A Zune. Zune would be the comedy reference That's, to the yeah. extinct That's why I got MP3 player. That's why I'm, I'm yeah. at Book a Club. I don't <laughs> so I remember, I didn't have this written down somewhere, but you gave me like the Jordan Brady five tips. I gave you the success. top five. And that I, was one of, that was number five. So- Folks, we're going to get to Jordan's illustrious career in a second, but let's just, I'd like to route the gate with the inspirational productivity the stuff. The top five. Can well, you talk about the top yeah, five? Yeah, one is you have a project. It, it, this assumes that you're good and assumes you know what you're doing. So number one, and, and, and sometimes I go five, four, three, two, one. Sometimes I go one, two, three, four, five. doesn't matter. Let's do three, four, two, one, five. The, the machete order. Yeah. Okay. That's a really geeky reference for Star Wars fans. That I didn't get because I'm like oh. the worst Star Wars guy, but. Uh, Sometimes it's when you watch the movies out of order Mm -hmm. also works for porkies. Hmm. Yeah. So number one is pick a date and write it down and work towards that date. Uh, Number two, uh, number two, if we're going out of order would be, um, you would think I would know my own thing. You can literally just go one through five. It doesn't matter. Okay. So you, because no one knows the order. Well, that's right. It's not like they're going to call bullshit on me. Right. So you pick a date, you write it down. Uh, then you stick to the date because some people go, wow, I'm kind of busy that weekend. But if you change for everybody, 
oh, I, I'll change it for you. Then someone else is going to come along and go back to the original date. Uh, a random one that helps is to uh, draw stick figures. Learn to draw stick figures, especially for filmmakers. Because the act of doodling means that your brain is not focused on the task at hand and therefore comes up with more creative ideas. Hmm. Does that make sense? Can you give an example of how that's worked out? Well, some people say, oh, the best ideas come when I'm singing in the shower. Mm -hmm. So for me, if I'm drawing these bad stick figures, one, I can actually illustrate a scene in my mind because the only thing I can do, and my son Jake has seen them, it's a circle with a nose and eyeballs. If the nose points left, he's looking camera left. If he's pointing right, he's looking camera right. And then I can I can actually block a scene on on my sketch pad. And while I'm doing that, the ad libs start to come mm. because oh, what if this guy said that? It's it's kind of a, a lazy man's way of writing for the ADD crowd. And just a jump start to get those ideas flowing. Yeah, great. I'm gonna try that. It's fun, and you can doodle every. There's no rules. There's no lines, and you don't have no one sees it but you. And you can go back and look. The other one, um, beware of. This is probably the most esoteric but practical piece of advice be aware of the the universe plucking you from what you want the path of what you want and pulling you over here and saying now do this that x factor comes along but it's predicated on the belief that if you aren't picking a date and writing it down and working towards your project and rewriting no shit is going to happen at all. If you're sitting around waiting for a phone call or going out to parties thinking, I got to meet the right people, it's not going to happen that way. You have to do the work. So if you're doing the work and you're plugging away towards August 10th, when I'm going to make that short film. And someone says, hey, I heard you're going to do this short film. Is there, I'd love to have you come uh, right on the show. I'd love to have you work on my web series. Can you direct it or whatever? Be open that I got that opportunity because I was doing the work trying to go over there. Mm -hmm. But the universe is saying, take a little break and come over here. In which case, it is okay to change the date because someone has a big bag of money and you're, you're a whore. So, I don't mean you personally, but. So that's the loophole. That's the that's big a loophole. loophole. Yeah, beware the loophole. Would be change the saying. date. Never change the date unless the universe tells you to change the date. Yeah. And it's a big bag of money. Uh, and then the last one that I, re I remember telling you this, when we met at that, it was at that cafe right down there. It was uh, King, King's Road. King's Road, yeah. yeah. Big cups of coffee there. Oh, folks. huge cups. The show is sponsored by King's Road. Uh, <laughs> fantastic menu, breakfast, lunch, dinner, great big cups of coffee. Coffee like rocket fuel. Mm. Uh, and the pretty actresses there, if mm -hmm. you're into that sort of thing. Just, you know, for eye candy. Sure. And the actors, you know, either way. And they literally have eye candy. It's a It's a type of... Candy, it's a hard-sucking candy, but it comes in a cute little eyeball package. Continue, I'm sorry. On it. Yeah. So, um, that's funny. Thanks. Thanks so much. The last one is practical. And I had a mentor, this guy named Al Burton, who created uh, Facts of Life. Oh, wow. Yeah. And he wrote the theme song to Facts of Life. And he wrote the theme song along with Alan Thicke. They wrote the theme song for uh, Facts Games? of Life and uh, Charles in Charge. Wow. I could be wrong that he created uh, Facts of Life, but he, was, he did do the theme song. And as a mentor, he told me, he had like a top 10 things. And he would go to teach at UCLA and USC and all that. And I would tag along just to listen. No money, just, I was like a, a, 
a mentee, I guess is the mm-hmm. thing. He said, write theme songs and songs for your TV shows that you produce and your movies. Because back in the day, before the internet, right, you would, you would create a TV show like Charles in Charge. Was his, it was like a big syndicated thing. And it would play around the world. But there were some less than um, upright people taking care of the money on your television rights. But if you had the songs registered with BMI or ASCAP, you would get a, 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 a breakdown of where your song had played around the world. Because BMI and ASCAP, who monitor radio and TV even, which I didn't know at the time, they're much more diligent about the tracking of the money and your royalties. So if they're playing your show in South Korea, Charles in Charge dubbed, they're not telling you. You're not getting a check, but then you get a, a BMI check for the theme song. You have a system of checks and balances. By the way, Willie Ames, huge in <laughs> South Korea. Huge in South Korea, big star. <laughs> and so <clears throat> I did a, a film that has a lot of comedians, your listeners may know, like Dana Gould's in it, uh, Rob Cohen. Mm-hmm. The writer, uh, Simpsons writer, Rob mm-hmm. Cohen, director. Wayne Fetterman's in it. Uh, but Billy Burke, David Koechner, Henry Winkler, Leanne Rimes. Like it was crazy. I wrote 12 songs and put them in the movie. And I'm telling you, Jamie, with I'm God as my witness, yes. I made 12 times as much money off of the royalties of the music in the movie than I did from the movie. This is brilliant. It's just, I hope it's interesting to your listeners. It's interesting to me. That's all that matters. That is all that matters. Yeah. But really, the, the, the listeners are an extension, I think, of me. Can you hand me one of those eye candy? Yeah. <laughs> um, anyone else? Eye candy? Um, and over here is a, a beautiful actress that just, she just kind of hangs out. I'm glad I wore the tuxedo. Yes. <laughs> and the top hat. That I'm wearing a little much. Uh, little yeah, much. we're just uh, we're just riffing here, folks. Uh, let's let's go back to the B. Or is that is yeah. that is that the? I mean, the that's five the, that's the the big one is the songs, you know, because uh, and and in fact, uh, I put, I wrote the songs in the script. The movie's called Dill Scallion. Mm-hmm. It's like a country Spinal Tap, and the band was this Billy Burke, fabulous actor, uh, you know him from Revolution. That, a show, that was the show. My, um, Gilmore Girls, Laura, um, Lauren Graham, David Koechner, uh, Dave Gruber Allen, I love who everyone knows, yeah, and uh, Wayne Fetterman on bass. Mm. Okay, so I split the writing of the music credits with the actors. I think this is a good tip for the listener that's going to do an indie film. If there's like actors that can play or musicians that are going to work for you, split the um, the writing credits with them. And the money is sh- is shot directly to them from, I'm BMI artist myself. Uh, I kept the publishing though. I didn't share that. No, that, made me, that made me the lion's share of the money. I just watched the Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers documentary. I oh. didn't realize there was a huge struggle there for publishing. Mm-hmm. Um, fun fact, uh, Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers documentary on Netflix now by someone other than Jordan Brady. <laughs> <laughs> so it's completely irrelevant. I, I think it's really inspiring too. Just I, I thought you were going in a different direction, but create your show and then create the theme song, whether it's made or not. And then there's, it's another thing out in the universe that's bringing that to life. And is you, you as a guy who does comedy and music, mm-hmm. what, what more fun is there than writing songs? You could almost say that writing the songs is analogous to the doodling, mm-hmm. right? To get the project going. Like I'm, I'm editing now 
another stand-up com- a documentary on stand-up comedy. And I took it, this is so derailing the process of editing. I stopped last weekend and wrote a song I want for the trailer. Like a little a little rap mm-hmm. for I am Battle Comic. Just because I needed a sort of a creative sorbet cleanse my palate, if you will, of all this footage. I, I got like 27 hours. I got to cram into to yeah. 80 minutes and it was so much fun. And then I was refreshed and I have this product or the kids now, now call it content, mm-hmm. but I have that waiting for when you should do that. Like right. you really should do that at the end of the movie or at the end of the editing and mixing and all that. Oh, come up with a song for the credits and whatever. Well, just like the order of your uh, tips for productivity. Maybe there, there is no rules to, to creating anything. Do the yeah. theme song, then write the script, then do the treatment. It doesn't matter. Right. Come up with a logo. Absolutely. Yeah. I have so many logos for things that have really? never existed. Yes. What, what's, the, what's the one that comes to mind? I mean, I, my, da- my parents own a locksmith shop, Flamsky Service, another uh, great sponsor of the show. Flamsky Flams, Flams Lock and Key in Sherman Oaks. Uh, <clears> but I, I wrote a treatment for a show called The Shop, which was Blue Collar The Office. Um, that takes place in a, in a small, uh, service based business. And, um, but I took a, a key and it's the one thing I know how to do from growing up. The son of locksmith was to stamp letters on a key. Oh yeah. And I put the shop and it's pinned up on my wall and maybe one day we'll see the light of day. You know what? You had fun doing it and I'd, you look at that key and it inspires you. Yeah. Perhaps it'll unlock some other idea. <laughs> this is the organic <laughs> magic is just incredible right now. So, okay, let's go back to, so stand-up opened up the doors for everything. So everything. What, what brings you to stand-up? How, how was, tell us about your life. Well, I'm, I'm a little older than you. And when I was a youngster, there was an album that came out by a comedian, Steve Martin. Not He's on Wikipedia. Okay, I'll look that up. Wikipedia. And I, I believe it was Let's Get Small. And it was silly. It was a silly age of comedy. And it inspired me to, like, I wanted to be a stand-up comic ever since I can remember nine, 10 years old. And then uh, I started, you know, doing open mic night with talent shows, like I'm sure everybody does. And then the open mic nights. And then I was just like a a lot of comedians, my generation were at the right place at the right time that clubs were opening up and there was a demand for comedians. So if you had a, it was like being a, a, you know, a mediocre drummer with a reliable van, Mm -hmm. you were allowed to join the band because you could get the band to the gig. Well, an MC with 10 minutes and a Volkswagen bug, I was booked up and down the East Coast because you could, you could pick up the headliner at the airport and get to the gig. Mm. So I got my chops going and I was, I was working on the road for, uh, you know, like 15 years and what? moved out to LA. I think Bud Friedman booked me on Evening at the Improv first because he thought I was David Spade. <laughs> like, I think it was a comedy of errors. I was young, blonde, thin. And you, that was your name then too. Young Blonde Thinned. Yeah. And then, and then, uh, on a side note, a side note here is that comedian Wayne Fetterman, not a gatekeeper. Well, so, uh, in a way, in a way with the Wayne Fetterman, uh, international film festival that I'm sure. That's actually, listeners know. Yeah. That's an absolute gatekeeper. I'm, I'm actually one of the, I've, this was the only year. This is a, a, a temporary t-shirt mm-hmm. for the festival. Um, I've been a corporate sponsor of the festival for years. Uh, Wayne Fetterman and I became friends and we were both so tired of doing even at the improv. And I think it was called VH one comedy spotlight. Oh, and, sure. Uh, what was the other one? Half hour comedy hour. 
that we became a pop rock duo and did this musical comedy act. Do you know this? Yeah. And we got booked on shows and then we got booked at colleges and then we got booked at like, a, we did a club in Honolulu for a week. It was so much fun. I'm just noticing for the first time how similar your the way you guys talk. Have you ever gotten that before? Never. Really? Wayne Fetterman. I mean, that's way more Jewish than. Oh, I mean, you're, you're, you're a much uh, <laughs> different version. But no, there's a lot of the cadence. Wow. Interesting. It makes sense. Um, so you were helping take comedy in a new direction. That was before your Garfunkel and Oates. And yeah, 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 yeah. They're comedy. funny, by the way. They're great. They're funny. I mean, I, I think Tenacious D really oh, sure, Tenacious nailed D. it. Yeah. You know, they nailed it. And there was a, there was two, there were two guys, if you know your comedy history, they were at the comedy store back when comedy was segregated. Like if you did the improv, you didn't do the comedy. Right, right. I don't know if it was a rule, but it just sort of was. I think Mitzi was more, uh, you know, stringent than uh, Bud. Than Bud. Yeah, probably. Piper and Tupper. You know, it's funny. I, I do know what you're talking about. They, when I first started here, they, they hit me so up. So funny. These like guys. kind of a 60s throwback. Yeah. yeah. Like a love, you know, summer of love, flower power duo that was really funny. Yeah. I did see them once yeah. about five or six years ago. So stand up comedy, uh, the Jordan Brady origin story goes that you, uh, I got plucked from doing all these shows. I did some acting, right. And just got cast in parts and everything. I'm not a good, I wasn't a good actor. I do. I mean, I was yeah. looking at your IMDb. Uh, I mean, Guy and Barr, Herman Ted. Guy and Barr, yeah. How was that? How did you prepare for that? Well, I went to bars, mm-hmm. you know, I'm a guy. And the truth be told, uh, my first wife, mother of my children, cast was the casting director. Oh, that's helpful. And they wrote the part like the night before. So they had, she had, she would always not just bring in me, but bring in like two, three people. And I got the part. So that might be a gatekeeping tip. Mary, <clears throat> Mary casting. casting director. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then we also have Parker Lewis can't lose. That was one of my favorite shows. Oh, up. Parker Lewis. Me too. Parker Lewis can't lose. I played a young, uh, wide eyed, altruistic teacher. Mm. I, I might even been in a flashback. I don't remember, but you know, there were the bitter teachers that were, uh, you know, just tired of it all. And I was the young, bright-eyed guy going to change the world. By the end of the episode, were you jaded? And Yes. Yes. All right. right. So there was a character arc there. Yeah, there was an arc. Um, and then, of course, the girl with the crazy brother. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> the girl with the crazy brother was an after-school special. Right. Do you remember those? Oh, uh, yeah. And they were obviously after school, but they always dealt with a disease or an affliction. And the actor who played, I forget his name. He played the crazy brother. He was not the focus, though. The crazy brother had, like, I guess today you would say he was far on the spectrum, like, you know, of autism or something. Mm-hmm. And he embarrassed, he, but he went to school with his sister, played by Academy Award winner Patricia Arquette. Oh, wow. I played Ian, the high school friend of Patricia Arquette. And what's funny is, like, we're all, you know, 20 mm-hmm. at the time or 22 playing these teenage people. And uh, I was her best friend that would console her. And I think I had a very uh, pivotal speech saying, hey, it's not about you. You're just the girl with the crazy brother. You know, I think I actually got to speak the, the title, the, the of, the title of the movie. Yeah, a lot of- And you know right. who directed it? Hmm. Diane Keaton. Wow. Yeah. 
who started as a waitress at the improv. Yeah. Is that it true? all comes around. Um, well, that's inspiring as a after school special. That was probably the meatiest part that I had. Mm-hmm. That was good. Yeah, it sounds very meaty. I had no idea you'd bring that up on the way here. Oh, I can, the list goes on. Empty Nest, Baywatch, Dream On, parts and all these. And so at this They're point- They're all small, like a couple of lines. It's really not. But during this phase of your career, you're like, I'm an actor. Or are you still, I'm a stand-up? No, no, I'm no. a stand-up comedian. In fact, uh, Designing Women was a sitcom. I remember that. And I was, uh, I got the audition on a, a Thursday- and they tape on Friday and they had just written the part. So I went to the, the casting director and the producers straight to them and they go, you're great. Go to stage three. And I go, what do you, right now? They go, yeah, you got to rehearse. We're doing a run through and then you're going to shoot tomorrow. I had a gig at the university of Irvine, the fighting anteaters, I think is their mascot with Wayne Fetterman. Okay. Where I was, he and I were headliners, like co-headliners. We we're going to do the musical bit after we both did some stand-up. And I was like, shit, I mean, I got to leave. It's an, Irvine's an hour drive. So I go to the set. They give me some clothes to wear. I'm waiting around. The director was a Canadian comedian turned director, David Steinberg. Mm. And I'm waiting around, I'm waiting around. And I just have like the one, two scenes. And it's getting to be four o'clock and I know I got to hit the road. And I, and I'm a young actor, comedian. I go up to David Steinberg and I say, sir, I, I hate to be a pest. <laughs> I didn't know I was coming straight here. And I, I know you're a comedian. I have a gig at the University of Irvine. He goes, well, what do you mean? Can't they get someone else? Can't you go on last? I go, no, I'm the guy. Like, it's me. It's my, I'm booked. And he goes, oh, Okay. Um, hey, and he yells to the stage manager, put two chairs right there. Go get Julia. And he sets us down on the two chairs. He goes, run your lines. He goes, okay, great. Get out of here. See you tomorrow. That's have a great so show. Cool. So I have taken that little lesson of humility and, and understanding mm-hmm. and tried to help if an actor, it does piss me off. I do a lot of commercials. I've done hundreds and hundreds of commercials as a director. If someone shows up on set and they're like, hey, I got to, I got a big audition this afternoon. I'm like, well, you, you might miss it. Now, if it's a network series, Asif Ali, do you know that community? I, I know Asif, yeah. I've used him in a couple of commercials and he had a thing where I, I just booked him. I just said, come in, do this line. You know, do these lines. And he said, oh, I got a big network thing. I was like, okay, we'll shoot you right now because of Canadian comedian turned director, David Spineberg. That's great. And you need yeah. that empathy because um, this, this industry is so crazy. And you never know what you're going to do. Is this boring if you have to say this industry is so crazy? No, I think oh, it's okay, intriguing. Okay, okay good, good. Opposite. Opposite. Okay, good, good, good. Because I was like, oh, wow. I, could I be. think it was the pause before I said that <laughs> that made it seem like I was reaching a little bit. But I, I assure you. Um, no, I get that all the time as a booker of this club. And, you know, sometimes like I'm on my end, they'll be like, you know, like they're like, I got this gig. And I'm like, well, I booked you at the improv. Right. What's this ranky dink show I'm trying to juggle for you? You tell the other one that you're going to work around this. Now, when you commit, I, I hate it when the crew, and it's usually a grip, and they do hard work, and they're the first guys in, the first last guys to leave. I say guys because they're mostly men. In fact, I don't know if I've ever seen a female grip. I'm sure they exist. But, um, and hopefully they're getting equal pay. I hope so. 
But they'll be like, hey, I'll go, where's Johnny? Oh, he got a he got a four day job. And somehow for the grips, it's okay to bail on my two day job for a four day job. And hey, I love the money like anyone else. But you know, a cinematographer can't just show a show up and go, hey, I'm leaving at lunch because I have a I have another gig or I'm gonna prep it a big it's a better job that came along. Right. Once you say yes, commit. Yeah. And that uh be number dedication six. when 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 you're doing the, the four day gig. You're going to hire that guy gonna hire or that a girl. Guy. Bring him back or a woman. Yeah. So stand up is opening the doors. David Steinberg and all these things. Diane Keene. Diane Keene. On the set of these things, of the after school special. And, and I didn't grow up with a super eight camera. I grew up in a poor hillbilly town in Ohio. So we didn't have any of the, the movie making toys. So I started late, but I did bring a camera and I would play around. I would edit on the road as a comedian. I remember shooting something in Cuyahoga Falls, Ohio with, Brian Regan, like a short, because we're bored during the day. So I did learn that way, you know, uh, just hands-on. And I would always study what people were doing on set. I mean, if I wanted to be, if I were right now in 2016, I wanted to be a, a, a director or a producer, I would take a job as an extra, get the box lunch. And instead of hanging out with all the other extras or and gabbing about this and that, I would just quietly watch and learn everybody's job on set. Because if you're an extra, you're on a set. And you can, I mean, if I, you could learn how to light. You could learn the workflow. Mm-hmm. How, where the sound, if you're a sound man, you know, when are they ready? How do they mic it? How do they do all that? It's like, it's like free film school that you're getting paid and the food's pretty good. Do you encourage extras and, and, and people in smaller roles on your sets to do that? To take it all in? they have to on their own. I don't, I'm when I'm shooting, I just shot yesterday with cats, by the way, like five different cats and a little kitten. And by the time we had some people too, some wonderful actors, <laughs> by the time I'm shooting, I'm not going to go over to the extras and engage. And I got fucked one time. Uh, if the director in the, I'm in the director's guild and usually the actors are SAG actors. If the director gives direction to the extra, then they are considered a principal actor and they get upgraded. Mm. One time in San Francisco, the extra was across the street and about to get hit by a truck. And I yelled, Hey, get back on the sidewalk. They filed that the director directed them. Are you kidding? I'm not kidding. I'm not making this up. They filed that the director gave them direction. Therefore they should be upgraded. They were never into the commercial. So as a principal, they got a fee for being downgraded and they filed a grievance. And Leo Burnett, big advertising agency, called me like three weeks later saying, hey, this actor filed this thing. From that day forward, I will not talk to the extras. That is, I mean, that, that seems like career suicide. It's crazy. Yeah. But um, did he get that extra? I have no idea. No. no. All right. Well, if he's listening, shame on you. I hope he's not listening. Me too. He doesn't need all this. Can't even afford a Zune. Um, well, then let's flash forward to, to uh, I mean, I, before I even knew you as a, as a, as a person, I, I'd seen I Am Comic. Oh, yeah. Which is, you know, to this day, I think one of the great uh, documentaries made about the life of a comedian. Well, thank you. And it held a special place in my heart because, you know, one of the epic scenes, and that's really just uh, had a tremendous impact, impact on me and my relationship with Todd Glass, and is Todd Glass going in to the lab. Oh, yes. And transforming it. 
into the perfect comedy venue. And this is years before I was even working here. So, but t- tell us about, was that your first big documentary? Yeah, well, there was a documentary, um, like I said, Wayne Fetterman and I are friends. So in the, in the nineties, I'm, I'm on the toilet reading the UCLA extension catalog and they always teach a comedy class. And I see Wayne Fetterman's name teaching the class and here we've been hanging out and he never told me he did it behind my back. So I went behind his back, got the rights from the regents of California to document the class of stand-up comedy. And he had like Janine Garofalo and Bob Zaney people came in and we organized a show. We shot it. So that was like a 30 minute documentary on standup being taught, which I don't believe can be taught. I mean, you could take a class and learn the mechanics, but you're either funny or you're not. Yeah. Yeah. So that was a test, a teaser. And I think I sold it to, it might've even been called the comedy channel back in that day. So then years later after feature films, after directing some feature films, I did, I am comic and it's really uh, Todd Glass, just his passion for stand-up is so fun to watch. He's like, you have a door. Do you want them to keep opening the door? That way it's light, dark, light, dark. Oh, put a curtain in front of the door. Like He's crazy. Uh, and the return of Rich Scheidner, who was a comedy vet. Of course, yeah. You know, he's sort of the, the arc, the heart of the movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, Todd would be the scarecrow. In the Wizard of Oz analogy of that movie. And you're the wizard. I'm the wizard. I'm yeah. the man behind the curtain. Mm-hmm. But it's, it, the movie is great because of the great comedians. I mean, it was Louis C.K. spending an hour and a half on the streets of New York talking comedy before he really catapulted mm-hmm. to the next level. Sarah Silverman and then the old guard of like Tim Allen and Roseanne come, giving there. And and for me, one of, one of the more interesting people that I followed around was Jeff Foxworthy. Mm. First of all, he's the nicest guy. But the fact that he has a gajillion dollars, I mean, he has his own beef jerky, okay, at truck stops, that he won, he, as an old friend from the road, said, yeah, come hang out. And I, I, you know, he did an hour 40 in Phoenix where we shot him and got up at five to do radio and shakes the hands of people. He, I mean, just really lives and breathes comedy. Brian Regan, same thing. Mm-hmm. So for them to grace the screen of I Am Comic, is what makes it great. It's, you know. Well, even now, I mean, Nikki Glaser in early days, like that was very prescient of you. Like. My wife and I were at Bridgetown at the comedy festival in Portland and we discovered, I think we discovered Nikki Glaser. And I'm not, no, I'm not taking credit for like her success. I'm just saying we came upon this diamond in mm-hmm. the rough and she and Wayne are the only people that are in both I Am Comic and I Am Road Comic now available streaming on Netflix. Which, uh, congratulations, that just came out. Thank you. I'm very, very proud of that. I am Road Comic. I just watched it this week. And um, obviously it's so fun. I know all these people now. Oh, you know everybody. TJ Miller. Yeah. Pete Holmes. Doug Benson. Um, Cinematically, the biggest piece of dog shit I've ever (laughs) shot. I mean, it is a camcorder. I I think that's the part of the charm of it. Yeah. What it is. But I mean, I I do commercials with a crew of 60 people and mm -hmm. we have... We have, you know, a quarter of a million dollars to shoot 30 seconds in a bowl of cereal. And then I Am Road Comic is like me and a handy cam. And well, I think Jim Norton a good mix. calls it out at one point at, towards the end of the movie. Oh, Judah Friedlander. Oh, Judah Friedlander. Yeah. You're right. Um, hey, but, man, I love how low budge you are, man. That's pretty good. <laughs> really save the money, huh? Uh, but, and of course, you and Wayne going up to, is it Oregon? 
Seattle? Yeah, uh, Washington, Eastern Washington. Washington. To do this gig. And I just highly recommend to any comics listening, this is a must watch. Um, and you, your, your big return to the stage. I only do it for the movies. Yeah. I, I mean, I have half-assed material that I cook up to, to be able to film the other comedians. I'm but, just a conduit. Yeah. I'm, it's not the return of me doing stand up. Although if you fall short one night, somebody takes a bigger gig, I'll be over at the improv lab and, uh, come to the lab in a, in a heartbeat. Come to Van Jam. By, by the way, I, I, I'm so proud of this because I got a couple other f- movies on Netflix, right? But Maria Bamford's special, special Oh yeah, that's the next thing. Because I can't go anywhere without plugging it only because to be associated with her is really cool to me. Well, the last night I think I, she's so funny. I watched the first episode of Lady Dynamite. I haven't seen it yet. I'm and wait. it's phenomenal. It's, it's so creative. And I just watched one episode. Um, but your special with her really came out at a time where still to this day, I think as comedy is booming and there's more comedy nerds um, where the special has taken on a whole new um, light of what you can do and accomplish. And I think you were at the forefront of, you know, trying out doing a special with Maria in front of her parents. And that's all her, by the way. I I mean, I, I can take credit for interrupting the special with her making cookies and answering the door for pizza and things like that. But the material is her, the idea was hers. It's actually her house. You know, I, I brought in a, a flair. But it's all her, and I'm just so I'm so proud of it, though the way it turned out. Yeah, and and I think of that it was at the forefront because people have now tried it. What's the uh, Ari Shafir show? Oh, this is not happening. This is not happening in the strip club, mm-hmm. and you know it, it's not forced, but is it necessary to be in a strip club? Like well, I don't get the connection, mm-hmm. uh, but I like the stories. Yeah, yeah. And the lab is would be the perfect place. Like the lab appeals to comedy at its heart. Mm-hmm. The big show in the showroom, and I've seen some wonderful shows at the improv, and the room pops with laughter. But there's something intimate about the lab where you feel like you're in a 1950s speakeasy. That's it. And what's happening is special. Like the comedian is going to take more chances. The comedian, maybe because the stakes are lower, no offense. No. Like you never know who's going to pop in the improv. That's the way it was back in the day too. Like, I better do my A material and I'll fuck around in the middle with the new shit, Mm -hmm. but I'm going to have my big closer. So at the lab, are they doing the big closer? Are they just like, Hey, that's my time. Good night. It depends. I'm, I'm trying to use it as a room for, especially the up and comers where I do want to see their A game. This oh, is, you do? Yeah. I mean, yeah. Th- that, that to me, it's, it's a room where obviously Sarah and, um, and Maria and should be working out and, and experimenting. And to a certain extent, it's experimenting for young comics too. But especially now, if, if, if I'm in that room and seeing someone for the first time, like I, I do want the stakes to be at a certain level where I'm seeing them you know, see what you can do with this room. Oh my God. I remember the first time you saw Wayne and I, I bom- we bombed. <laughs> it was horrible. It Who wasn't redecorated. That? Oh, uh, Eli Braden. Eli Braden. Yeah, maybe it was Eli's show. I think it was. Um, but I vaguely remember seeing you guys. And I, 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 one of my favorite memories of, with Wayne was um, he was strumming. We put a piano in the lab about four years mm-hmm. ago. We hadn't had one. And he was just, I walked in. It was kind of like a, this romantic, it's 1130. Walking from the main room through the lab, which is already closed. And Wayne's in there and tickling the ivories. Just just him and him and lady music in the lab. <laughs> And um, whenever I started chatting with him, it was one of my first conversations. I was like, I didn't realize you played the piano. 
He's like, have you ever watched my act? That's my <laughs> That was pretty good, Wayne. Wayne. That was good. And I had to admit, like, not really, not really. And now, of course, he's one of my favorite comedians and friends and, and someone that I book all the time. But um, have, Has anyone shot a special in the lab? Not since it's open. They should. You know, Sarah Silverman did a special at Largo, not the big Largo. Yeah, the, the little, small room. I think it's called Lady Largo. Mm-hmm. I think I think I love the look of that and the intimacy of that crowd. Mm-hmm. Someone should do a special. Well, but wait I'm, a minute, let me ask you a question. Sure. As a comedy connoisseur and and uh, uh, purveyor, mm-hmm. booker, gatekeeper, mm-hmm. right? Uh, I just, like last week. I don't know when this airs, but let's say last week, Comedy Central announces seventeen comedy specials. And they're all going to be shot at the same theater. Right. Okay. Can we still apply the word special? Maybe it should be called something. I'm not trying to take anything away from the comedians. I love watching new comedians, old comedians, love comedians. But is it is it a special or is it just the new comedy album? I think you're right. It's like the, the new comedy album because, you know, I mean, maybe on Comedy Central, it's still a special. Um, it's It's huge it's produced they are saying these this is the next generation of people that have are strong but it seems like everyone um every comic now has a special within five years of starting right that they're putting out on itunes and which god bless them why not if you if you can do it and why not if you have i mean i think nowadays people ask well like well what's what's different i think you have to be a a self-marketer and you know, I released I Am Road Comic, which is now streaming on Netflix. I released it for five bucks. You can still get it for five bucks at jordanbrady.com or iamroadcomic.com, but I don't plug that anymore. <laughs> uh, you can cut that up part out. Yeah. He doesn't even need that. <laughs> cut okay. out the plug. I don't need that at all. Because um, I wasn't going to wait and I wasn't going to spend the money to go to, I went to a handful of festivals just to hear people laugh. Mm-hmm. And But I think in this age of, you you can control your own distribution. Mm-hmm. The tools have never been easier. It's never been easier to make shit look good. Despite my shitty looking documentary, you can go buy the camera or there's, there's passionate people that want to be the cinematographer that love doing sound, 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 sound. Mm, cool. That you should be able to put together great content and get it out there, which creates the need to get the followers and the likes and the tweets and the retweets. But that goes back, back to when one of the themes of the show is there will always be gatekeepers, but um, you know, more and more like you don't, you don't have to rely on getting that agent or manager or producer or selling that show. You can just make it. You can make it and put it out there. Yeah. Hey, can, before we go. Yeah. I just want to say this to you and your loyal listeners <laughs> that, uh, most people in Hollywood, gatekeepers, most gatekeepers want the people that they're keeping outside the gate. They want to let them in because a director, when I go to the callback for commercials and I see a bunch of actors, I really want every actor to be the best. I want to have an embarrassment of riches mm-hmm. where I have a tough time choosing who to go with. And it's the same with the ad agency and the casting director. When you go to read at a sitcom where you're going to the producers they want to be like, wow, aren't they both so great? And I think sometimes, and I'm not just talking to actors. I'm talking about anybody, like a writer trying to get a project going. It, people love to read a good script, to see a good film. And I think if you 
go at it like that, you'll have a more sane trip. I love that. What else, what else would you say as far as gatekeepers and, and being a gatekeeper? Um, like, take us out with some with final advice. Um, if it was, if it happens, if it doesn't happen for you, a part, a show, or whatever, there must be something you could have learned. You know that would that doesn't kill me and makes me stronger. And if it if it doesn't happen, if I don't get a commercial, I'm at the point now where I know the guy who got it, or I know the woman who should get it. And so it's cool. Let it go. It's not me. But if I get it, it's all about me, baby. If you get the part, it's all because you were perfect for it. And if you didn't, it wasn't meant to be. And I know that's sort of contradictory, but it is a sane way to look at it. And and if if something sucks, mm-hmm. throw it away and don't show people. Just because you made it doesn't mean you have to put it out there. That's sort of the flip side to how easy it is to make stuff. If you make something and it is crap, shh, right. make a new one. And if that's crap, hide it. Try a third. If the third one's not good, maybe pick a different direction. Right. What What is that threshold for crap? Because something I, I I talk about a lot is like make something and put it out there because there's no other way to to get that. Feedback. Yeah, get her done. Ship it. I love saying ship it. But you're right. In this day and age, it's like if it looks like crap and it's it's uh, if it, it's not funny, if it's comedy, then yeah, maybe maybe don't. Here, I'll leave you with this. Then this is a better nugget than the one I just did. Yeah. Last one. I'll shut up. I preach, you know, I do a a commercial directing bootcamp that don't cut out. It's a good plug. Commercial directing bootcamp.com. Right. It's so niche that I take 20 filmmakers and I talk about the commercial industry, which would be not that interesting. I mean, as a gatekeeper, it's interesting. Right. But I give away the keys to the kingdom basically. And I say giveaway, but it's several hundred dollars. The, The thing that I preach are the three R's. These are the reason to do a project. And I hope it's applicable for what the listeners are doing. But for me as a director, I look at every project through the filter of the three R's. If it satisfies one, it's worth doing. If it's all three, it's the trifecta. The real, the revenue, or the relationship. So if I get a script, I'll do it for free if it's great. Mm -hmm. If it's cool people to work with who do great work, you know, that's the relationship. And then the revenue is typically last. If the revenue, if you're just doing stuff for the money, you're not going to have a good reel. And then you're you're short-sighting your career. It's going to end because you don't have a good reel. People want to see the work and work with that person. Like, oh, look at her. Look at her script. You know, I I met a copywriter who did this... uh, Fat with Asif was in it and mm-hmm. Reggie Watts and they went around to all like Bonnaroo and all these places and her work was so fucking funny and I was like I don't care what you have I don't care if you have money we'll figure that out I just want to work for that relationship and it'll end up on my reel mm-hmm. if you have a good reel then revenue comes down so one R feeds the other it's, R it's like a triangle of R's there's a fourth R that's a good reason to do and that's r- r- pussy but I'm married <laughs> Wait, what's, what's the R? That's an old joke. That's a, you know that old joke? No, I, I didn't. It's something like, like, why do you do the road? Like the, you know, I do the road for the, for the music, for the da-da-da and the, oh yeah, the money, the music and the buzzy. That's the joke. The three M's. Yeah, the three M's. So 
So I did it with the four R's. I appropriate. I stand on the shoulders of giants before me. You have to emulate your heroes, <laughs> which you've just done. Uh, well, thank you, Jordan, for joining me. Jamie, thanks for having me. I'm so flattered. I would love to have you come back because I think we just um, hit the tip of the iceberg as far as commercial directing and, and all that stuff. In the meantime, people can go to commercialdirectingworkshop.com. Mm-hmm. And then lay out all the rest it's, of the places. It's not actually in. commercial directing work. It's commercial directing boot camp. Boot camp. Yeah. That's right. Workshop might have been a good name. Better logo. Guy with a hammer. That's anvil. Really good. There's some great clip art uh, <laughs> in the blacksmithing. Uh, oh, yeah. In that field. Under that umbrella. Yeah. Uh, if you're interested in commercial directing and filmmaking, like many, I have a podcast that's called Respect the Process. It's on the iTunes. Mm-hmm. And then uh, jordanbrady.com has everything. I got my reel, got my shit, got my blog, got my podcast. You're doing everything. And, and right, it just came out. I am Road Comic. I am Road Comic. Follow up to I am Comic, which I, is must, must viewing. For and anyone. Lady Dynamite. I have nothing to do with Lady Dynamite. I have nothing at stake in it, except I'm a fan of hers. And you directed her wonderful special. Yeah, but uh, it's more about it. Now we're moving forward. You got to watch it. So good. <laughs> um, well, Thank folks, uh, I'm going to end my show as I always do. Work on your craft endlessly, be a professional, be undeniable, and be cool as fuck always. For more episodes of Gatekeeper, you can subscribe to us on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. You can find me online at jamieflam.com and at jamieflam on Twitter. A very special thanks to the Sideshow Network, the Hollywood Improv, Andrew Steven, Sean Merrick, Roddy Swearingen, and producer Buddy Peace for the awesome music at the top and end of this episode. And be sure to check out hollywood.improv.com for updates on great new shows coming up in the main room and the lab.